I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice and fresh, sporting a fresh haircut. If you're watching on YouTube, give a like down below if you like Benji's haircut or a dislike if you don't like it. <laughs> we'll see what the ratio is. Most dislike uh, <laughs> podcast ever. <laughs> yeah, probably. Makes sense. I just uh, <laughs> we're here to start our award season, so we'll be doing best GC rider, best yada yada yada. Today is best sprinter, awarding the best sprinter of 2021, and what that means to you might have differing definitions. We'll define the questions, and we'll also look to next year to see or decide or forecast who will be the most successful sprinter in 2022. But got to say, a weird year. Let's just sort of recap the year of sprinting, Benji, where. I feel like we were, maybe because of Bennett and Lefebvre beef, but we were denied really seeing the big guns going ahead, head to head against each other, particularly the Tour de France, where there were so many sprint stages. You and crashed out, and Bennett, we didn't go. Do you think? What do you think was the real sprint or royale this year? Honestly, I would look at the UAE Tour because I feel like we had the most top sprinters in one bunch sprinting against each other at the UAE Tour, but. In all honesty, if you look at the entire season in total, I think we just didn't have a sprinter that was like miles ahead of others when it comes to both the sprinting and both the results as a consequence. Because if you think about the past, Marcel Kittel, extremely strong. If you saw him at the start of a race, you know that he might not even need a lead out to just destroy everybody. The likes of uh, Mark Cavendish in his early days, for example, same bloody story. And the thing is that every year we had like one person that would win three to four stage wins at the Tour de France, and that was against the best sprinters in the world. This year, I must say that Cavendish did great winning a lot at the Tour de France, but we had Ewan crashing out. We had Bennett not being there due to his knee injury, but also would have been a teammate, so he wouldn't have been selected if Bennett was in full force by that Tour de France. Does that mean that Cavendish's sprints are useless? Not at all. Not even close, because he won the most important sprints of the season, in my eyes, which is the sprint stage in the Tour de France. And that's a discussion we might be having on this podcast as well. Does the most important sprints winning that, does that mean you're the best sprinter? In my eyes, it doesn't. Yeah, I think, no, it doesn't. But right place, right time, best lead out, we'll talk lead outs as well. I do think, as you said, UAE, which... I don't know, sometimes we're skeptical of the UA2, like, oh, is it really the most important race? Well, I mean, there's three sprint stages. There were supposed to be four. We're not for the stage one crosswinds. Usually all the best sprinters there. Plus, we have like some good wasp per kilo tests on her feet. So I'm actually looking forward to it again next year. But yeah, anyway, looking at, if you look at pro cycling stats for the best sprinters, who's accumulated the most points, it's actually Jasper Philipson, who's been very, very consistent throughout the year. But I saw on, uh, I think it was the Night Chacha Instagram, uh, Twitter account, he did like a, it's subjective and I want to do my own version of this, but like calculating strike rate of sprinters 
And Phillipson's in world at world tour level, his strike rate in sprints is very low in bunch sprints. I mean, at the Tour de France, yes, lots of, loads of seconds and thirds, but then loads of guys have crashed out. Same at Paris Nice, but he's more cleaned up. And you know, what has he done? Sixty-three race days. Is it not because he has completed two full Grand Tours as a sprinter for the team compared to a Ewan who was crashing out after uh, the first few days of the Tour, who started the Giro and ended after the first few days because there weren't that many flat stages compared to a Jakobsen who did one Grand Tour, Cavendish who did one Grand Tour? Doesn't that not give him more points as a consequence if he keeps on podium in two Grand Tours in a row? I think it will, no. Tour de France, uh, stage three, where he came second, 50 UCI points. Guess how many points you get for Grand Prix de Denain winning that? 200. So it's four, coming second at the Tour de France in a sprint stage is worth a quarter of winning Grand Prix de Denain or it's worth, uh, quick maths, what, 300 divided by 25, Benji? That is nine. Uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus, no, it's embarrassing. No, 300 by 25 is not nine. <laughs> it's 12. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Eschborn Frankfurt, you get 300 UCI points. So he's kind of been the uh, send riders to the right races darling of this season, even though he didn't finish the Vuelta Espana. But that leads us to our first real strict question. Who was the most successful sprinter in 2021? This question is not about what could have been, who is the best on their day. This is who got the best sprint results in 2021. My answer is clear. It's Mark Cavendish. I agree. Firmly agree. And it's seen all over the season because we start off with the calf to the tour meme that popped up in turkey it was uh one of his first proper sprint allowances at quick step this season we had some small belgian classics beforehand where he got very close just before turkey and in turkey he uh started striking right and he did so by um quite simply beating like to philipson quite a few times now i do believe that positioning meant a lot in that race for his sprints but he was successful and he was able to book a position in the Tour de France because, well, Bennett was not looking that great and his relationship with uh, with his team manager, Patrick Lefebvre, was on its complicated on Facebook. So as a consequence, Mark Cavendish hopped into the door and was able to ride the tour. And he actually proved, uh, well, everybody that he can still do it on that area. Obviously, the decurning train is very important, but there were stages in there where he won on his own regard as well. Was it... The second stage win or something that he flew past, one. like, was it the first one? Yeah, I think him beating Philipson with Philipson in the draft like that is pretty impressive on that uphill drag to four, the stage four. I don't think he was in an okay position, but it wasn't like perfect dropped off with 125. I think he was left on the front a little bit early, like if you want the optimal drop off for that uphill drag and Philipson wasn't good enough to come out of his draft. Now, obviously, a lot went right for him, Bennett not being there, Ewan crashing out stage three. Melier and Alpes and Phoenix deciding to treat the Tour de France like a kid's participation swimming carnival <laughs> and lead out Philipson after Melier won stage three certainly helped Cavendish as well. But that's, this is the most successful awards. And he won four stages. He won the green jersey. Four stages of the Tour de France is more important than 10 World Tour stages scattered around other races in terms of exposure. So, yeah, Cav most successful for me. And he won... He won at Turkey and he won at Balaza Belgium Tour, like the Koenig Quickstep Belgian team. He won stage five ahead of Merlier, Ackermann, Groenewegen. So it wasn't just the tour, and he won the German race, Sparkassen, Munsterland, Giro. 
uh, as well. <laughs> yeah, that race. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, I didn't know he won that. I just saw on PCS there. So I think, yeah. <laughs> Who would you go to, Benji? That's the tougher one. That's a really good question, but I think I would be pointing it at either Merlier or Jakobsen because we know that Merlier, when he is the sprinter in his team, the all-out sprinter that they go for, he's very likely to end up winning. I think it was Bing Bang where he had those two stage wins, one of which was on the left side of the road where he passed people in the last 100 meters and took that victory as well against very strong sprinters. And the counterpoint is that he always leaves after a few days in the Tour de France and in the Giro. So I'm kind of like, well, is that really a... Sure, he was successful the races he rode, but he wasn't there for the majority of the biggest sprints in the world, you know? So that's kind of the negative effect for me. But if you look at Jakobsen, then he came back for the for the Vuelta. Preparation races were looking good. The second he started sprinting again himself, he was getting closer and closer. And I think he already started winning one of his first ones that he actually started sprinting again, which is pretty damn big. And we saw him going into the Vuelta. We were looking at Philipson and Jakobsen for the two best sprinters in that race. And I would dare to say that Jakobsen was the strongest sprinter in the Vuelta. We've spoken about this before. Philipson was a uh, second in that row. And the question there is, how successful do we view Philipson if he is second and third? Is that successful, being able to podium on so many races at top level? I would say that it's somewhat successful, but it's not as successful as winning at that level. Well, no, it's not It's not successful when the alternative is Merlier sprinting. Who can win? Yeah, so, like, but Merlier wasn't at the Vuelta, so... Should have been. <laughs> uh, Jakobsen, I agree. Jakobsen, he, he basically just got his legs back underneath him for the first three stage races. Like, he, Dauphiné, he was literally there just for fitness. And then he won seven races, three at World Tour level, three at Dot Pro level in two months at the end of the season. It's a great return. And yeah, it's, it's incredible. But Malia, yeah, Malia is good as well. But anyway, that's that's a tougher second question. But Cav is our most successful sprinter in 2021. Now is the more, oh, let's go to best sprint of 2021, Benji. And usually, uh, sometimes I try and stop myself being a little bit biased. I, um, People may not believe this, but yeah, I actually sometimes think, oh, okay, I shouldn't go with the Australians all the time. I'm going with most impressive sprint or my best sprint of 2021, Caleb Ewan, when he beat, I think it was the second sprint in the Giro d'Italia in that tricky technical finish where Gaviria attacked and he caught Gaviria with, I think, Merlier on his wheel and Chimalai, and he absolutely destroyed everyone, I think, in that Tormali finish. That's my most impressive sprint. I think that's a good pick, honestly. I um, think that's a good pick, but I think the most impressive, entertaining sprint of all is one that we haven't actually named any rider that was participating because it wasn't uh, in the Giro at the intermediate sprint where Evenepoel started <laughs> sprinting against Ghana and Brennell. And uh, I think that's the most impressive sprint of the season. I didn't expect it to happen. It was completely <laughs> useless in hindsight. And at the moment itself, I was like, okay, it's for three seconds, people. Are we really fighting over three seconds right now in the first week of a Giro? Yes. yes. <laughs> and they decided to go for it. I don't even remember who won it, but it was impressive. I think Evenepoel actually beat Bernal there, but I could Bernal be wrong. destroyed him. 800 watt peak. <laughs> anyway, on, on a serious note, though, when it comes to like serious sprints, I the impressive sprints in general I would like to give to the UE Tour in general because I think there was a lot in the UAE tour sprints, we could analyze. Like we saw Bennett with Merck ahead of him. We saw Bennett, how he was able to get to a high top speed in the latter 
100 meters and the fact that Caleb Ewan needs that position in his wheel to be able to beat Bennett. If Bennett if Ewan in his, is in Bennett's wheel, then he's better. That's what we saw at Ioito. And yeah, there was so much tactics there or like we were able to define so clearly what they were good at. And I enjoy that. So for me, that's uh, that's that thing. It might not be uh, the pure definition of most impressive, but I enjoyed it a lot. So I guess I'm just hijacking this award. I'd like to I'd throw another Bennett one in there, which is the stage one of Paranese, cold conditions, uphill drag. He absolutely destroyed everyone. The Sensi Le Col finish, yeah. nasty sort of draggy, slow finish on the hoods, and he ruined Demar, Pettis, and Philipson on a finish that suits particularly Philipson. Uh, so yeah, Bennett has some really impressive dominant wins this year as well. I just like the Ewan one because he had to close a gap with someone like Merlier in good condition on the wheel. Before we get to the big one, the most controversial one, our top five sprinters in the world, mention our show partner, LaCole. LaCole produced performance, cycling, apparel. They've been a show partner of the show since its inception and they've created the LaCole Cycling Club where they're running group rides on Zwift for LaCole Cycling Club members. There's also additional discounts for LaCole Cycling Club members. If you want to check that out, it's at www.lacole.cc. That's www.lacole.cc. Thanks, LaCole. Really, for the whole for the whole year and, and supporting the show, but we'll do more on a, a wrap up later. But the big question, Benji: top five sprinters in the world. You go first because I, I, I want to. <laughs> I've got mine written down. Full disclosure, in case Benji copies me. In case I copy you, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I um. For me, this is a bit more of an on the spot thing because uh, LR decided to tell me one second before the podcast started that we're doing a top five sprinters. But I think I've got the top two nailed down already because uh, I'll do it the other way around. I'll start off with first because uh, that ru- ruins all the tension when it comes to my top five. My best sprinter in the world at the moment is Caleb Ewan. As simple as that. Now, is Caleb Ewan the best sprinter in the world for me? We saw in the UAE tour that Every single time where he was in a good position, he was able to beat Sam Bennett, who was at that moment seen as the best sprinter in the world, partially thanks to the help of the De Kooning train. Now, for this award, the best sprinter in the world, I do value the effect of the De Kooning train for the Kooning riders. So therefore, Bennett and Cavendish get a slight bit less because I believe that when you take away Merku, they're going to not win as many races because positioning is part of sprinting. And I think Ewan actually has a bit of a, a negative part there, where the second he is in a good position, he is able to win. But the problem for him is, and I don't want to be height shaming, he's uh he's not that he gets bullied large. And exactly, he gets bullied by other competition. We saw this in was it a Bing Bang Tour stage where yep. Merlita ended up winning? Merlita was able to him. move forward. Uh, Merlier was able to move forward and win that stage eventually because he was able to keep himself in the same position and push him through the peloton towards being in a good position. Caleb Ewan can't do that. Caleb Ewan can't do what Tim Merlier did there. And as a consequence, he has to benefit of gaps that are open or teammates that deliver him to the perfect position. Now, the Lotus Sudal train this year was very inconsistent. There were like one or two days where they were very on point for Caleb Ewan, but the rest I feel like they weren't really there for him. And as a consequence, he had to do quite a lot himself. And when that is the case, you are limited by your abilities and being able to move up in a mass sprint with trains all over is 
not Caleb Ewan's best uh, thingy. Now, the positive side on that is that he's very small, so he can worm himself through smaller gaps. So uh, there's uh, another side to the coin, really. But I think that when we look at top speed, acceleration, Caleb Ewan is the best sprinter in the world. When it comes to his ability to get onto punchy sprints like Hatadam, for example, that's one again, once again a place where he is one of the strongest sprinters, if not the strongest sprinter of the field when he arrives at that small hill at the end of uh, that UAE stage. Think, did we have Hatadam this year? I don't think so, no, right? No, we, we didn't. So unfortunate. I love Hatadam. Anyway, um, that's why Caleb Ewan is for me the first one in that row. Now, when it comes to the second one, I said it. The Koenig is a tiny bit less for me, personally. And I'm going to go and say that Tim Merlier is my second best sprinter in the world. Tim Merlier is able to do a lot alone. He showed that in a lot of races. Yes, he has a good lead out when it comes to Alpecin, definitely. But he also showed that he can do it alone. And that's a thing that is very important. One question. Uh, yeah, I want to challenge you. Oh, God. The fact that Merlier can't get over a hill, and so he really only need he has to have the stages, the sprint stages front-loaded or to be doing Balois, a Belgium tour, etc. Bennett can finish a Grand Tour, won the green jersey last year. Did, do we take that into consideration in, in terms of best sprinter? I don't know the answer. Are we talking peak speed? Because, yeah, I agree. If you line up these guys, Torino Adriatico stage one, that pancake flat, Merlier, pretty lethal, but... I knock him down a bit, Benji. For like, I want these. I want a guy to be able to do a three third week sprint as well. I agree on that effect, but when I look at our awards here, I think this most successful sprint is the one that makes the sprinter able to perform on every single top sprint. And Marlier is not able to do that because he can't get all across to the second week in a, in top form. But when it comes to the all out, just a sprint stage, a one day sprint stage, or a week one through the front sprint stage, he's going to be one of the best sprinters in the world on that field. When it comes to getting over hill, I think that's highlighted by the fact that he has issues with the ability of recovery after the first week in a ground tour, the he first few days it. in a ground tour. He obviously doesn't enjoy climbing that well because uh, he's a sprinter. Majority of sprinters don't like climbing, I would expect. But if I am honest, I think that if a sprint has one hill on the first stage of a Grand Tour, I'm saying he gets over it. If it's on the sixth day or the fifth day, he doesn't. So I think that has a big effect on his climbing as well. you got to remember that Merlier, like, he's been a cyclocross guy, sort of the same pathway as Van der Poel, and it's different with MVDP, who doesn't do the bunch sprints, who doesn't like the bunch sprints or participating in them. Merlier's doing this very technical activity, and I, I know obviously he's been riding a lot of Belgian one-day races, which are very technical whilst he's been a cyclocross rider at Verandas Willems Kralen. But he, yeah, it's just impressive for a guy to be 28 and just be like, yeah, I can turn up to Tirreno Adriatico or the Giro and win a bunch sprint against guys who've been focusing on world to a bunch sprints for like half a decade. It's really impressive. Uh, so Benji, you're third, you're third now, surely Bennett. Hmm. My problem with Bennett is I would love to put him there, but we've seen him for two months in the season. Come and on. Best sprint. I'm, Come on. I'm the, I'm the Bennett hater. I'm supposed to be the Bennett hater. Yeah, I'll put Sam Bennett there. Okay. 
I'll put Sam Bennett there. I think that he's proven enough in the first part of the season that he's one of the strongest sprinters in the world. He was unable to show himself in the latter part of the season. I don't believe that when you put Sam Bennett next to Cavendish on a sprint that Cavendish is going to be destroying Sam Bennett. That is, uh, in my eyes, unlikely. Now, it depends on their lead out next year. I wouldn't know because Merku is gone for Bennett and Cavendish might still have Merku. Um, but yeah, I would expect that Cavendish doesn't ride the Tour de France, but then again, we did so last year for this Tour de France as well. So you never know that Jakobsen has a, I don't know, has a, a fight with Patrick Lefebvre and can't start the Tour de France next season as a consequence. Nonetheless, I think when it comes to my third sprint, I said Bennett. Yes, that the Koenig effect matters for him. But when it comes to the fourth one, this is where it gets a bit difficult, you know, because we're talking about the Koenig effect. Does it strike as well when it comes to Jakobsen? If you look at Cavendish, I think that I put Jakobsen above Cavendish personally. I think Jakobsen is a better sprinter than Cavendish. And that is also because Jakobsen had to do it without Merku at the Vuelta. And he was still able to pass through sprints where his positioning was very much non-ideal. The lead outs at, at the Vuelta, one of them was too strong where, <laughs> to the point where he got dropped by his lead out. And the other ones, we saw... Who was it again? Like the third leader? Was it Stibor or was it someone else? We saw Seneschal at some point, but uh, Van Lerberg was there as well. Like sometimes it, it looked like they were sprinting a lead out at the front of the peloton and he was like in 10, 15 position with four meters to go and the had to move up. Shit. They were yeah, shit. They weren't good enough. And he still was able to be the best sprinter at that race. So I'm going to put Jakobsen in third. I'm going to put. Cavendish in fourth. We've spoken about Cavendish already and his pathway throughout the season, so I won't repeat that for this. And my fifth rider is... Um, I'm so forgetting someone, by wait, the way, wait. When, when doing so this. So Jakobsen's fourth. Yeah. So that means... No, so third, right? No, no, third was Merle. No, third was Ben. Oh, but shit. Fourth, yeah, you're right. Fourth <laughs> was Jakobsen. And fifth is Cav. Ah, uh, probably. There's probably <laughs> someone that I would put above Cav still, but... I think this year we should still give him to him like at least one spot in the top five. You ready for mine? I'm scared. Ready? I'm going to go reverse order. Fifth. Don't tell me Bauhaus. <laughs> top five sprinters in the world. Fifth, Wout Van Aert. One I should have I forgot Van Aert. Belgian <laughs> Benji straight up just fucking wants to get deported. Like, <laughs> he's, he's actively doing it. Hey, um, if you told me half an hour before this podcast we would do a top five, I might have known him. <laughs> you need a day's notice to remember Wout Van Aert. Come on. He's, after World Champs, he's obviously been dead to Benji. Uh, Wout Van Aert fifth, Torino sprint, Champs-Élysées sprint. I think the fact that he doesn't have more sprint wins is because he doesn't sprint a lot of the time and because he doesn't always – well, he, he never Agreed. has – he never has a full lead out. I mean, when he had Turnison with the one-man job, they cleaned Damn. up Champs-Élysées. Uh, you can change it later, Benji. It's all good. You can, you can change nah, after it's my, done. my goodness. It's done. It's done. Fourth, Malia. I, I do. I discount the fact that he can't get through a Grand Tour or even a one-week stage yeah. race. Uh, I got Malia there. But in terms of top-end speed, he proved me wrong. I was talking a bit of shit about him, I think, at the start of the year, and he proved me wrong completely. And if he if he bothered to turn up to the Vuelta, he would have, he, I think, obviously won a stage in each of the three Grand Tours, which is incredible for Merlier. Uh That being said, I also think he has he's had a great lead out. I think Alperson at the races he's won, they've had the best lead out often. Uh, he, Jonas Ricard and Dries de Bont is is very very good. Or the lead out Philipson gave him on stage three of the Tour. Four, uh, I can't count either. 
Third, I have Jakobsen. <laughs> Jakobsen, I think right now, is current condition, third best in the world, top end speed. It's just huge. And yeah, he, he was, no one could come close at the world, even though Philipson had better position. Second, I have Bennett. I think Bennett was just so dominant at the start of this year, not always with the best lead out, particularly at UAE. Sometimes Merku helped, but it wasn't like Rolls-Royce treatment like Paranese Stage 5. And I think Bennett at, you know, if if Bennett had gone to the Tour and had another knee issue and he's got Merku there, he, he probably wins. And, you know, even with, you say, Ewan doesn't crash, he still wins at least two stages, in which case... I think it'd be clear that people would say he's the second best in the world. And first, I have Ewan. The Ewan leadouts are a problem, and in our next question, we'll talk about that in, in more detail. But yeah, he they changed Kluger and Du Bois. They changed the order of them around. Kluger's aging out. Du Bois did a good job, sort of, for Ewan on that stage I mentioned for Ewan. That was his most the most impressive sprint of the year. That was a punchy uphill one. But in terms of like get a guy on the front. And just absolutely launch it from 450 to 200, 175. They don't have anyone to do that. And they've signed Drizners, the Australian young guy. They've signed – no, I'll hold that thought. Sorry. That's my list, Benji. You got any got any problems with my list? I think the inclusion of Wout Fanat is a very clever inclusion. And I, <laughs> I probably should have thought about him when making my top five sprinters <laughs> list this season. But you said it. It's because he – he isn't profiled as a sprinter in many races, and as a consequence, he doesn't ride many races as a sprinter, and therefore you don't classify him as a as a sprinter often, and he's often forgotten in lists because of that. Yeah, I'm finding an excuse, okay? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he himself, Benji. Well, yeah. Fanart is a better time trialist and a better sprinter than he is a classics rider. Like, someone proved me wrong or changed my mind. I agree because he always misses something in the latter part of a classic this season, except for Amstel Gold Race where he lost to Pitcock. Facts. Okay. Next question. Who will be the most successful sprinter or the most successful sprinters? We'll do three in 2022. Now, this is where we do factor in lead out. We factor in team. We factor in injury shape, all those sorts of things, and maybe you know their projected program. Who do we think will be the most successful sprinter? My first is Jakobsen. Okay, mine as well. <laughs> oh, we don't coordinate this. So, I mean, people probably believe that we're not organized enough to coordinate it. So, it is legit. Benji's got it as Jakobsen. Why, why have you got it? Quick step effect plus higher talent level or ceiling than. He's the sprinter that will um, be riding for the Gunning Quick Step at the Tour de France next year. And <laughs> yeah. Therefore, he will win sprints. It's simple math. De Koenig plus Jakobsen <laughs> plus Tour de France equals wins. What should Lotto have offered Merku, Benji? If you're paying Caleb, I don't know. Let's, they're paying Caleb, I think, he's not on the minimum minimum contract. It's a, it's pro, it's a, a fair salary. They've signed Schwarzman, I think, and Rudiger Selig, who, Selig, apologies, who, Let's just say the Ackerman leadouts and that sprint train and system was not exactly working this year. They signed those guys who are getting older. Ackerman's gone. I did a whole video and I thought Ackerman, he, you know, when Ackerman was like, oh, my numbers are actually pretty good. And I was like, I looked at his positioning. He was getting dropped off way too early, even in non-World Tour races. And, yeah, I just don't think those guys are the solution. And I'm concerned for Ewan's leadouts next year still. Yeah, what would you pay Merku, Benji? Do you think there's systemic underpayment of leadout guys? Or do you think 
it's not just enough to have the final man. You need the whole train, the system. Who's the who's the guys in the car? Steels? Tom Steels? Yeah, uh, Tom Steels is in the car. But when it comes to their sprinting trainer and, and group and so forth, because I would expect that they've got a, a pretty established idea on how to set up sprint trains after the years at the Koenig. And as a consequence, perhaps it's more it's more than just the person behind the wheel. It's more the entire staff surrounding sprints, people who, I don't know, techniques that they use that aren't used by other teams, I would expect, stuff like that. And yes, Merkel is indeed the one, but before Merkel was Richese, and Richese went to UAE, now he's kind of, yeah, now he's kind of Orese instead of Richese. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or um, Sabatini, was he at Quickstep with Viviani? Um, like that didn't work very well with at COVID as Swift. I don't know, he's getting old, he might have retired with uh, Viviani. So, yeah, maybe you take Merku out of Quickstep and he ain't you know, Merku anymore. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but I, I do worry about Ewan and that's why I don't have him first. And I just think Jakobsen, the way he's shaping up, is he can be as good as Bennett plus that train, lethal, I think. My concern is still he has a bit of Merle year. I'm not sure how he goes over the climbs. Uh, I know he made some time cuts in the world to which were generous, but um, some also some funny statistics about his climbing times there, which uh, where he's doing the same time as the GC group, which seems a bit surprising. So um, we'll wait to see how he goes in the tour, particularly on those Col de Grenon stages. But, yeah, who have you got second, Benji? I've still got – it's a tough one for me. Bennett is going to Bora. Yeah, how do you think Bennett will go Bora with his? What train does he have? Haller. Uh, Haller's there. We've got um, Van Poppel who went there. We have oh, yeah. um, Ryan Mullen. Wells went there. Ryan Mullen. Um, yeah, sorry, but no. Shane Archbold. Uh, Shane Archbold. But like in all honesty, these are all riders that on a separate occasion in different teams all had a pretty good role, and Haller was a great lead out for Christoph in the past, but. I haven't seen them work together and to be able to judge whether I will be able to work together properly to bring Bennett into the front of sprint um, is something that I just honestly don't have full confidence in. But I also, I don't know, it's difficult. I kind of want them to succeed after what he went through at, well, with Lefebvre this year, but I, I just have a hard time seeing it. Yeah, like he's going to have to change. His, like just when he was getting used to we saw in the first year, sometimes he didn't fully commit to following Merku. Then he, 2020 Paranese, it was just like yeah. unbelievable in UAE tour, their chemistry. Just when he was getting used to that, he gets taken out of that again where you're now in this Bora setup where you can't just blindly follow your lead out, man, because it might take you nowhere. You think that we're going to see a complete turnaround when it comes to a certain sprinter that will go from one sprint in the year to being very successful in the name of Gizbol? No, I don't. I don't know. Is there anyone left on DSM to lead him out? Have they got enough rides on the Elon Von Welder stuck there, right? <laughs> yeah, but Case Bernard's gone. I mean, yeah, Case Ball, like twenty six. I don't know. So odd. That Paranis stage win was was fantastic from him on stage two. Dominated everyone, but then not good. Uh, they should honestly just let Eckhoff do what he wants. So want to keep him happy, but yeah, I think I don't know. I, I think. Probably Ewan, second most successful, and then Melier, I'd say. But we haven't mentioned Phillips and Benji. What do you – like, do you see Philipson as capable if all the big boys are there at the Tour de France? Can he win a bunch sprint? I just I just don't see it, even with a good lead out. One, perhaps, yes, if everything falls into place. But when everything goes right for the other sprinters as well, it will become difficult. 
And we also have to look at the situation at that team. We have Merlier, we have Phillips, and we have Van der Poel. If Alpsen ever wants to go for the green jersey with, uh, with Van der Poel, they will need to sprint on flat sprints with Van der Poel, something that we've seen that he doesn't have uh, excellence in because he's able to do it once or twice uh, in the year where he could do it, but his positioning is uh, a bit off when it comes to bunch sprints and he's a bit too spiky to be able to stay at the front as well. So he, so he kind of goes too fast into a corner, then realizes that he's stuck behind somebody then has to push back again, stuff like that. And... When it comes to Merlier, we know that when he shows up the first week, he's going to win sprints. But after that, not so much. Now, if you look at the Tour de France, Paco, we spoke about your 2.7 sprint stages. And then we realized that Champs-Élysées was still available as well. So 3.7. But in all honesty, like Champs-Élysées alone for Merlier at the end of the Tour de France, I kind of feel like it's worth sending him to the Tour de France because he can do so for the first week and enjoy those flat sprints that we do have in the first week. While Philipson can just do a lot of stuff throughout the entire Grand Tour. But I think Merlier is still a better sprinter on the first week. So they've got a very difficult situation to schedule these riders for a Grand Tour because at some point Philipson will need to go to the Tour de France for himself. But I have a hard time believing it will be next year. I think they'll send both again and just have Melier go for the first two and then have Philipson. Or maybe they don't send <laughs> Philipson at all and they don't. there's not many sprint stages left. I, w- I would send Philipson to Milano San Remo. I think, I think he, could, he could get over yep. Poggio. I, I really like his. Uh, you've got Vanderpool, mate. Yeah, yeah why don't just have both? What, I mean, <laughs> Vanderpool's 25th before the Poggio anyway, so we can push uh, exactly. Philipson back to the front group afterwards. I mean, Vanderpool kind of was the one that kept the race together for no sprinter this year anyway. Like, So, yeah, I think Philipson at MSR is a really – like he fits that profile really well in my view. I think he's just a classic sprinter. Uh, I really like Philipson and uh, he's done better this year than I thought. But, yeah, Cavendish, Benji, what do you expect from him next year? I think it's just going to be another dogfight for him in trying to – Prove try that well fighting for Tour de France selection first of all, which I think Jak- Jakobsen should take. And uh, but still, what, what do you think about him going to the Giro or, or just uh, any other races? I don't know. Remco's I doing Giro that, or Volta. What's Remco doing now? I have no Volta, Volta, Volta. Oh, okay, on paper, uh, it wasn't fully decided yet, but Volta seems the most likely uh, right. based on the schedule. Nonetheless, um, Cavendish. Does he even want to do Grand Tours that are not the Tour de France? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mate, who the fuck cares about the Vuelta and the Giro if your name is Mark Cavendish? How many? He's done He's done five Giros, two Vueltas. He's definitely not doing the Vuelta. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I heard he enjoyed Andalusia, though. <laughs> or was it not Andalusia? <laughs> it was Andalusia, a DNF. Yeah. And then Greipel, I think, won the last stage. Cav was like, it's too healy, and then Greipel won, and Lefebvre roasted him. Um, we haven't mentioned one guy. It's now 30 minutes in, Benji. He's changing teams to Israel Startup Nation as well. Mitsolo, he won a Giro stage, yeah. his first sort of big win. He's older. He's been a good classic guy, world champs making G1, very impressive until uh, Philippe attacked. What do you see from Mitsolo next year? I think he'll have a better lead-out train but not the best. Do you think – I thought he was going to go to quick step. I think the pl- what would have happened would be if – Jakobsen, you know, couldn't recover. I think they would have signed Nitzolo because he's not that expensive and with the quick step train would have been good. But, yeah, what do you 
How do you think that will work? When it comes to Nizzolo, I think that he's going to be more successful than this year. Um, he was having a pretty good season and previous seasons in total with the European Championships last year as well. But I think that he's just going to become more consistent if he has a better sprint train. Now, I don't expect that to come full and allow him to win the Tour de France sprints left and right. Because I believe that the Koenig will still have a better lead out, that there's going to be better sprinters at the uh, starting line there. But throughout the year, he might be able to pick up more sprints. Now, I don't think that is going to be a huge difference. I, I think that Israel's lead out is not terrible, but it's also not outstanding. And therefore, it's going to be one of those middle teams when it comes to lead out a bit better than middle, perhaps. And be able to position him for more races, but not for all races. And yeah, I just expect a tiny bit more, but I think you've got a different opinion or not? Uh, I think Giro, he could win two, three, two stages and maybe take the points jersey, but I still don't see his top end speed as good enough to yeah. consistently win Tour de France stages. Now, I want to throw it over to uh, Jumbo Visma and let's oh, talk Grunewagen. about... We've got Grunewagen, Decker and Olaf Koy. I think Olaf Koy is going to uh, be a big sprinter in the future. I don't think next year yet, because he's still like is he is he like nineteen still? So 20, just turned twenty. Okay, so um, it's unlikely that he's going to be riding his first Grand Tour next year. I would expect twenty is kind of still an early age for so twenty one. I would expect him to be uh his first Grand Tour, but David Decker he was the one for the Giro. I was hoping for that Giro stage <laughs> win, and then Grunewagen showed up. Why not lead out an out of shape Grunewagen instead? I think next year Grunewagen will be successful. No, no, he will be, but at the Giro, I mean, like, yeah. he was not in the best shape of his yeah, life. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's why. the question I wanted to I wanted to ask: Who wins the white jersey of sprinters next year? Because you and Bennett, uh, Melier, etc., they're all over twenty five. Who's the twenty three? You think Coy will be the best under twenty three sprinter in world? I think he's going to start showing up. I think you're right, and he's also I think he doesn't mind a little uphill drag either, kind of like Philipson. Um, yeah, I'm keen to see how all of Koi goes. Bauhaus. Yeah, Sorry. Bauhaus. Let's be honest. One dot one race and one air. <laughs> the two, two one specialist. <laughs> yeah, it, it, nothing more than that I would expect. Perhaps some top five sprints in other World Tour races if he does show up in some. But I just don't see it when it comes to the big guns and beating them. But I, I was I was thinking like, which other young sprinting talents do you expect to show up in the next couple of years? Because we're talking about all of Koi, but. Is there anyone else where you're like, oh, this guy? Jordi Mayos. Walls? Uh, Walls is good. He beat Nizzolo last week, didn't he? Or a couple of weeks ago with Gran Piemonte. <laughs> who, there's probably some guy coming off the track program who, like I know Kellen O'Brien, he's going to be a good lead out man at, at Bike Exchange. Just announced his signing. Huge engine. Uh, but there's probably some track guy converting that we don't Leitao really know. at Caja. Yeah. I'm believing it. Portuguese Abra- rider, young rider. <laughs> He uh, was second at the, was it, elimination race behind Viviani uh, on Trek World Championships recently, Yuri Leitao, and he's going to Cajarural. Uh, That's a great transfer. Honestly, one of the better transfers I've seen across the entire men's world tour. No, men's cycling in general. Another Kaha one that's uh, a young talent, the man going over to Trek, Aberastery. What a signing to clean up some, maybe come second in some 2-2 races. <laughs> Actually, they replaced Aberastery very well at, to be honest (laughs) speaking of trek mads pedersen who i thought in 2020 was going to develop into a lock top five sprinter in the world he i don't know if what happened with his year one kerner brussel kerner but then 
because he came second behind Ben in the Champs-Élysées sprint in the Tour last year, and then he had inconsistent results. I'm really keen to see Pedersen bounce back, and I, I kind of want him to just target pure bunch sprints and focus on that um, at world tour level. I still think he can win win here and there and turns and Sturvin is a – is an okay, he's a pretty good leader as well. But in terms of U25s, it's tough to know. These guys can pop up out of nowhere and you're like, holy, you're, you're so good. Maybe Ethan Hayser, is he, is he fast enough to win? Not for pure bench wins in my eyes. Not yet, at least. Uh, I haven't seen anything to prove that he will be one of the better ones. And if he does end up being one of the better ones, there's usually MP that decides to uh, try and throw a crash party in the 500 meters <laughs> of sprint stages where he's at. So I don't know. Okay, that's our sort of sprinters roundup of the year. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know your top five sprinters of the year who you thought was the most successful and who you think is going to be the most successful sprinter next year. We'll be back in your ears on Thursday with our award show for the best GC riders, which are not a long list to choose from in terms of the first <laughs> couple of fellas. In the off-season, we'll also be dropping our episodes every Monday and Thursday. Once we finish the award shows, we'll move on to our team previews, which we started too late last year. We're actually planning this year. But thanks to the Coffers for the podcast. Thanks to Benji and his new haircut. We'll see you on Thursday. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 